0: All right, Jordan. Yeah, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Oh, no, no, it's not over there. Oh, where's, is, where's is it? It's actually in my pocket. Oh, it's this stuff. Money. Let's do it. <laughs> This is something that's often talked about a lot. It's something that I think a lot of people sought after. And we are talking about a industry that's already massive, but also yet still developing. And I think this is always the big question on a lot of new editors and also advanced editors' uh, lips. How do we navigate this current editing economy and making sure that we're making the money that we feel like we deserve? And then, if you are an editor, how are you making that type of cash?
1: I think… The industry is changing so much. I think as an online editor, there's going to be so many things that are just new that we can start to utilize to increase our cash flow. And then as a traditional editor, you may make money in a little more of a simple way where you're just taking jobs, just freelance editing. But there's other avenues that are, are coming out that I think could be beneficial.
0: I think that's exactly what it is. I think if you're just entering the web media space, it kind of looks feels like the world is your oyster. But yeah. even so, the the ways that being an editor is now being monetized is also way for traditional to also start also jumping into that space. Exactly. Like there are new opportunities that are being presented for them as well. It's been said multiple times already, but the creator economy is growing at a rapid pace. So much so that being a creator today has taken over being the most sought after job for children.
1: The amount of stuff that's just getting produced in mm-hmm. the world yes. is crazy. Mm-hmm. And most... Um, Creators these days are actually Mm full-time, which it's never been like that before. And the amount of content that's being uploaded online every day, absolutely insane. And that content needs to get edited. So who's going to do it?
0: Absolutely. There has become a massive demand, which is also demanding a massive supply of editors. And so that's why the editing economy has been growing so massively because we have to create the editors who can supply that demand.
1: And so we're here to discuss how… Can we get our hands on some of those jobs? How can we maximize our income in this crazy world?
0: That also then comes with some of the challenges because there are creators who, of course, probably respect the editor, understand their time, understand their value, are willing to pay the value that I think that editors deserve. There are also creators who probably don't quite understand the amount of work an editor has to do. Uh, and then they probably might be undercharging or vice versa there might be an editor who doesn't quite know their value and then they they're having to probably navigate a potentially a structure that's not giving them the, the value that they need or probably they're not being paid for the value that they're able to provide for the editor. We we did have earlier this year, uh, Ed from Film Booth mentioned that maybe some editors are probably worth half of the YouTube channel. Yeah, the revenue share makes perfect sense. You are at the end of the day. In terms of creativity, you are
1: pretty much half the YouTube channel. It's really interesting to see how different compensation models are being developed. Um, We even talked about revenue splits Mm -hmm. within YouTube. Sometimes there's even reward-based compensation models. So if your video gets a certain amount of views, Mm -hmm. you get paid bonuses… Um, That's never really happened before in the world of traditional. And traditional, it's usually you have a day rate, you have a flat rate, mm. an hourly rate, and you just get paid for the work. And so now I think we're getting a lot more creative with the Wild West mm. of YouTube
0: rules. There was this interesting thing actually that happened to me earlier this year. So I've started sort of making acquaintances and friends with a lot of editors in the traditional media world. And I'm beginning to learn more about their space as well. And I was invited to do a speech to talk about the YouTube economy or the web media economy. And so I wrote this really great speech sort of introducing these traditional editors into the world that we live in. Then one of the things that I started like uh, talking about is actually there. Here's some of the challenges that YouTube editors are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I said with like with a huge chest, I said, and these editors are not even getting residuals. They're not even getting a rev share split. And then I was expecting like, yeah. And it was a total silence. They're just like, and it wasn't until <laughs> it wasn't until afterwards until one of them pointed out, it's like, no, we don't get residuals. We get paid a flat fee of it, and then that's it. We're done with that job. And I went, but like, you're a massive creative part of that process. I feel yeah. like you should get it. And so the fact that editors on web media are getting in their in their words residuals, the fact that they're getting that, but traditional wasn't getting it. Why is the web media thing probably a bit more modern compared to the traditional?
1: I wonder what percentage of web media editors are getting residuals. That is also true. I feel like that's pretty small, pretty rare still. There's a lot of people that pay for like result-based work. So like if the video does really well, it's starting to get a lot of revenue, you're going to get paid a percentage of that.
0: That's some of the advanced ideas. And so in this, we're going to talk about some of how the 1% of editors are making money. But then also we do need to talk about if you're just starting in this career and then how you're then going to then start making money as a beginner editor as well. And so we're gonna be exploring both ends of that spectrum. I would consider ourselves to be in probably that privileged 1% of editors. And so Maybe. I've, I would say we are, or at least we, we have a decent understanding of what that industry is like.
1: Yeah, we get to talk about it online and sometimes people listen to us. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> in the position that you're in, yeah, I'm actually curious, how are you as an editor making money in 2024?
1: So I have a few different income streams. So we have like a freelance editing category an education category, and then different ways that we can split up how we educate online with editing freelance editing is just its own category every once in a while we'll do freelance jobs but in the education sphere a lot of the revenue has been youtube sponsorships ad rights selling an editing course youtube adsense affiliate links patreon i also have an overseas youtube channel which is billy billy it's in china and consulting that's how i'm making money right now
0: this is what's interesting is that you're an editor but this seems to be the umbrella of that seems to be a lot larger than many people would expect.
1: Yeah, it's a lot about education. The world is so different now from 10, 15, 20 years ago where you can actually make a living um, being an expert or just talking about a certain um, subject more than actually just doing that job or doing that subject. Mm. And so it's it's just a different business model. A lot of people can take a, advantage of it. It's It's something that is pretty accessible and pretty easy to do if you have any extra time.
0: It's a tricky line that both of us are trying to balance though. Because right. it's like yes. the education part is, yes, we are in a privileged position where we can talk about it at an educational level. Yeah. But for us to still have the right to be doing education, we should still be doing it.
1: You got to practice what you preach. You got to um, get your hands dirty a little bit in the work. I'd like to hear a little bit about you too, and your just just an overview of what what your income looks like right now.
0: I think I'm in a similar camp as you. I think we're in as I said, we're in that sort of advanced sort of one percent sort of camp, and so we're able to diversify the income of us being editors. And so yes. I do freelance work. I also do education as well. I also do consultations. Filmmakers send me their edits and I'm able to then give them feedback on that. With that, I also then make the content on our channels, such as the Editing Podcast and our own personal channels, Hilliard Smith and Jordan Norm. We talk about our work there. That also gives us AdSense and brand deals. Mm -hmm. So us just being able to talk and do editing and being able to showcase it or brings in multiple income streams. Whereas that that means that freelance isn't our only income stream. I mean, that's a huge
1: takeaway right there. Like trying to diversify and create more income streams is a great thing to do. But we all have to start somewhere. And I personally started just doing freelance. That's all I was doing. Um, And you started doing just full-time editing. I was full-time, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I think that's just a normal place where most people start. And that's great. So let's dive into freelance editing and um, just how we can really maximize our earnings there before we diversify.
0: With your freelance experience, if you're looking for work, what is the right kind of job? And also what's the wrong kind of job?
1: For me, starting out when I was doing freelance, I kind of just took everything, anything and everything. I just kind of took it all. I said, yes, and I just tried to learn and grow and get better at editing all different kinds of styles. But I think pretty early on, you're going to want to niche down to something that you're going to do and, um, and be very intentional about what you pick because you're kind of maybe going to get stuck there. You have to be careful not to pigeonhole yourself because the industry is going to want to do that. Once you have done a bunch of music videos, everybody's going to know you as a music video editor. That's what you're going to do. Once you do a bunch of YouTube videos, you're going to be a YouTube video editor. So just be really aware about what you pick and what you specialize in. And you can even just try to do a variety of projects if you don't want to get pigeonholed yourself. And as you get more and more experience, just start saying no to stuff. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be really scary. But say no to the jobs that you just know aren't going to look really great on your reel and just try to only take things that um, challenge you and push you forward.
0: I partly agree with some of those things, actually. I think I do agree in a sense that start to probably try a little bit of everything. I do like that. Yeah, Uh, Because again, Bottom line, you don't quite know what you like as a creative until you've essentially have tried everything. Right. But there also may be a chance that you might already do know what you're trying to do. We've both fallen into this trap of essentially being kind of typecast as an editor. You know, you're known as a music video editor. I'm known as a YouTube editor, where it's like both of us wanted to expand into different streams of editing, but we're now having to fight against the, the moniker that we've both been given. Yeah. But, uh, and so I think that's the risk of niching down too early. Mm. And I think... I think we both kind of made that mistake. Doesn't mean that we're not grateful for the credit we've had.
1: I don't know that it's a mistake because, well, it depends what your goal is. Mm -hmm. I think if revenue is the goal or if you want to make the most money, niching down is helpful. Yes, yes. Because you'll float to the top of whatever that genre, whatever that niche is quicker because you'll just be known as that person. People will be like, okay, I need a music video edited. I'm going to go to Jordan. I need a YouTube video edited. I'm going to go to Hayden because he's the best YouTube editor. And you can really command those high prices at that point.
0: Yeah, you're right. And so because because we did focus down, we are able to then say that we have that moniker to say, because of the experience I've had, you're able to trust me. But if it, that means you then put me onto a Hollywood movie, I might not have the appropriate experience to actually right. do that. So the further
1: that you niche down, the harder it is to actually move over or move laterally or move to a different genre. So, but, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, which I know, one do you want to You're
0: right. But then if you're able to become the expert in that field and you're the only one and you're one of the few experts in that field, that's when you can start changing charging significantly more. But it means that you're going to have to sacrifice some skill sets. Exactly, But that's a pathway. You can also potentially find ways where you can be very reliable in, mi- in a multitude of different aspects. And so, for example, I have very poor experience in motion graphics and After Effects and animations, but I'm really good at storytelling. But if you are an editor who has a good level skill, a decent level skill in all of those aspects, you could be quite a well-rounded reliable editor but you might not be particularly special in all of them but you're reliable in taking care of all of that and so i would say it kind of depends on your priority yeah
1: exactly i agree
0: those are the choices that you can have as you're uh trying to figure out this path do you want to niche down and become an expert or would you prefer to become a jack of all trades editor but not particularly be an expert but uh probably more reliable overall one of the biggest issues in all of this though is as we've mentioned the demand for editing is massive And what is the classic mistake that all of us do? We take on too much work.
1: Yeah, go watch the burnout episode, y'all. Like, <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. take on too much work. It is
0: the typical classic thing. There's like a client contacts us and say, "Hey, I want this video done in two days." And we go, "Yeah, all right." They give us a footage, and suddenly we realize it's gonna take us a week, you know. And then, but we've already committed to something else. And then and then by the way, this client's come back and says he wants one more revision on something. And then while we're doing that, another client comes along. That's a great opportunity. And says, "Hey, can you work on this tomorrow?" And then suddenly we're balancing five different videos in one day when really you should only really be doing one. We have all fallen into that trap. Why do people keep accidentally taking on more work? And then how do you then make sure that you don't take on too much work?
1: I think lots of people tend to underestimate the amount of time that something's gonna take. Both the client does that, but also the editor does that. Like they want to be like, oh yeah, I can edit this super fast. I can be amazing for you. And then you end up, you know, painting yourself into this little corner and you're you're stuck because you know you have Extra revision that comes in, and you're already strapped for time. So, I think one just easy tip is just say it's going to take a little bit longer than you think and then you'll just give yourself a little bit more time. Trying to set work hours, especially when you're freelance editing, saying, okay, I'm gonna start at eight, I'm gonna end at six every day. And that's what I'm, I'm gonna have a lunch break for an hour in between. You know, Try to at least structure your life a little bit more if you like working there during that time. Some people like working at nights, some people like working at different times, but just try to keep it to about eight hours a day because that's scientifically the way that you're gonna be the most productive. And if you don't rest, you're actually gonna be less productive. And so gotta gotta keep your hours just, you know, at a, at a decent amount.
0: If you are presented with multiple opportunities, how do you say no?
1: You go, oh, I don't want to do this. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it is.
0: There is this great quote from uh, Yes Theory. Uh, and I think, and it's something that I, that's kind of stuck with me a lot because I've made that mistake where it's like they say, If you say yes to everything, you end up saying no to all of it. Yeah. Because because what that means is you genuinely do not have enough time to complete any of it, and then you fail everyone. And so I think it might just be the hardest part is someone comes to you and says, I have this great opportunity. But if you are already committed to three to four different things or sometimes something that is massive... That part where you have to say no. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. There's so many videos online that I had an opportunity to edit. But I unfortunately had to say no. And it went online and I watched it and I went, fuck. I could have made this so much better. <laughs> and it hurts. It sucks. Yeah. But so, and so in my mind, I've still edited it in my mind when what knowing how I could have made it better. But I'm also glad that that video got out and I didn't hold that person back or anything like that because maybe, maybe I didn't have the time to edit it in the way I would have wanted. I would have failed them anyway because I already committed to so many other things.
1: So, what have you learned this past year? How are you working smarter and not harder, even if you have to say no to a few things?
0: With one job, I am able to monetize it in multiple ways. I do a job of a project that I'm really, really excited about. And I spend my time making it and do the best that I can. And the reason why it's important I do the best that I can is that once this video is published, I'm then able to use the network that I've created to then start talking about it. Once I've done the job, I would then make an editing breakdown of it on my channel. I would then maybe start doing small segments on it on my socials to increase also my growth. And then in that freelance project, I use a filmmaking tool that I can then have as a brand deal in my editing breakdown. On top of this, I have also been developing a community of people who are interested in the work that I've created, who are probably wanting the more intimate, longer version of the editing choices that I had to make creatively. With this community, I can then do live streams where I'm then able to then break down essentially every single choice that I had made. One of the best examples this year was a video that I edited that had gotten 100 million views and I wanted to break down all of the choices that I had made. And so I went live on my YouTube channel and I also went live in my community breaking down all of those choices. And then with those live streams, people are also paying to join those streams. And so the live streaming part is actually probably one of the harder parts. It took me a while to figure out, like I'm an editor, not particularly a live streamer. Facts. I think I did want to find one of the easiest ways for me to kind of just create the whole setup, like just get live as soon as possible. Streamlabs was able to help me make that happen. One of the first times I went online, I genuinely thought you could just set up a webcam and a screen share and off you go.
1: Yeah, you and me both, bro. That's (laughs) not how it works.
0: And so I genuinely just quickly Googled, "Uh, live stream setup help. For real. (laughs) I was able to find Streamlabs I downloaded it I looked up uh, I looked up a YouTube tutorial on how to get things set up and genuinely I was able to find out how I could set up my screen share to to have the maximum frame rate how to have my little react camera in the corner so then people could see me reacting towards it everyone was able to see my entire timeline at like 1080p really excellent quality because re- you've got to get those details in the timeline yeah you got to so two hours, I started panicking. And then when I found out about Streamlabs, I was ready to go in about an hour. Shoot. I was able to look like I knew what I was doing within the hour. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> and then because of that, I was unable to then present to the thousands of people that tuned in as I talked about my editing choices. And now these people come in once a month. I do roast sessions. And so uh, creators send me their videos. And I just go live and say, here's why your videos are crap." <laughs> So and good. again, it's a great way for also me to learn what people don't know so we can then talk about it on the podcast and talk about it on our channels as well. That's been one of the most beneficial things to me. Live streaming using Streamlabs has become a massive uh, monetizable stream for me.
1: I think that's genius, first of all. And I've, I've been able to do similar things with doing like uh, reaction videos yeah. using Streamlabs. Also doing roasts on my course. It's been so much fun. But I think one thing I've very slept on… Because not everybody, you know, has a YouTube channel or is able to get, you know, thousands of viewers watching their stream right off the bat. Mm -hmm. But even if you're just editing something, you know, you're spending your 12 hours a day editing something and the client isn't, you know, maybe it's a personal project or the client isn't super uptight about the material. You can just live stream that on all platforms. Click of a button with Streamlabs. Yeah. And then… You could even cut that down into clips later you Mm -hmm. could turn it into a podcast and just the act of being able to sit behind somebody while they're editing like if i could just sit with a master editor and just watch them edit for a while
0: that would be so valuable. If we wanted to nitpick on the edit, get the sort of final details, I'm actually able to start maybe a private live stream with them, like or it could just like like a video call uh, software, basically. Right. And then I can use Streamlabs to then share my screen and share my React face. When it's on your main camera, it maintains the 24 frames per second or the 30 frames. It, like there's a consistent frame rate yeah. and a consistent quality because it's considered your main camera. And so I'm able to use Streamlabs to start a virtual camera. And then my clients is enabled to then see me editing at a full quality and at full frame rate.
1: Hot tip for sessions, man. Yeah. Especially in the after the pandemic with the the era of remote work, like having a smooth stream that you can show your client. So valuable. They'll want to work with you so much more.
0: I've done that with like massive clients when we're just trying to do that finishing pass. And it's like, instead of just doing one more version on a notes app, it's like we're able to get those final details done right there and then. Great, we're done. Let's export. Off we go. And so Streamlabs is able to actually help me get past the finish line with some of these clients.
1: And so as you probably guessed, Streamlabs is the sponsor of
0: this episode. (laughs) How many times have we mentioned Streamlabs? Like at least 10. I think we're good. I hope they're happy. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. Thank you, Streamlabs. Streamlabs podcast editor is a
1: game-changing tool. You can take any video right from your desktop, put it in their editor, and you get seamless text-based editing, translation, and distribution across platforms like Twitch and YouTube. You can add captions, clip highlights, and reformat everything for socials. It's literally incredible. So if you want to grab it or learn more about Streamlabs Podcast Editor, check the link in the description.
0: As I also want to reiterate, I think we're talking about education But that should be kind of considered like an end goal. You have to also be building up the brand of yourself as an editor and how to market yourself. If we go down that avenue, that's a whole other conversation. So we're definitely gonna talk about that on a future episode. But part of it is we want to expand on not just our experience and how to navigate the editing economy, but how everyone else is able to explore the editing economy. So we also did ask our audience on our socials how new editors can make money in 2024.
1: So if you were starting over, what would you do? how would Hayden start over from scratch becoming an editor? And then we asked everybody that. So
0: let's see what people said. But here's the fun part. We're going to go into this blind. We We haven't seen the responses. And so we're going to be given the responses and we're going to be able to respond to them with zero preparation. So love it. I kind of want to do this in a very, very dramatic way. Boom, 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 (laughs) boom, boom. Dude, you're
1: freaking awesome. Oh,
0: my goodness. Where did that box come from? Did this
1: work? Was that dramatic? (laughs) I think that was kind of dramatic.
0: (laughs) So the question was, how would you make money as a new editor? Mm -hmm. And one of the responses that we got was, agency work. It's always flowing and it gives you a chance to take on small jobs that pay well. Do you agree?
1: I mean, I've never done it. So, I mean, it sounds good. I mean, lots of times when you're starting out, you just got to build a lot of boxes. We did a little box metaphor before but you get better at building boxes the more boxes that you build so agency work it's steady you get a lot of practice and then you can you can move on from there
0: i think i half agree i think the agency network for web media editors is still developing so it's not for
1: sure for web i think for,
0: for like for traditional for like commercials it's fantastic for web media it's not quite there Maybe we'll find a way to make that work in 24. Make content to advertise yourself
1: and everything else will follow.
0: I absolutely agree. That's something both of us do. We use our channels to advertise ourselves as editors. And then we become attractive enough that clients reach out to us saying they want to work with us. So I agree on that entirely.
1: I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna have to completely disagree. (gasps) My editing work has absolutely gone down since I've started a YouTube channel. Oh really? Which is kind of weird. But they see that I'm spending less of my time becoming a better editor and more of my time educating people about editing. Ah. And so because of that, I think a lot of the client base that I built up just completely dried up.
0: Like they assume you're
1: busy? Yeah, they assume I'm busy or you're doing something else. And I think part of that is I did say no to a lot of work for Ah. a solid period of time. One thing that's good about this is that you just need to edit. You just need to do it. You'll get practice and then you can do more client work. But I think… If you want to make money, you should just start off doing client work as, as quick as possible because con- content creation isn't really going to make you that much money. And I don't think it's the best advertising tool. I think a better advertising tool is actually doing the work that the client wants to hire you for instead of making
0: content. Watch less tutorials. You can watch all these tutorials that's teaching you how to do these things. But if it means that you're not actually doing it, then you're not going to learn anything. So actually it might be better to maybe even go into these things blind and figure it out yourself. I
1: think the only reason to watch tutorials is to try to help yourself get familiar with the software. Mm-hmm. But once you understand how the software works and most of the things you can do in it, then I think you should stop watching tutorials because then it allows you to be more creative and kind yeah. of do your own stuff. Yeah. So I, I think, think it's, it's cool. a little bit of both. Learn how to play an instrument first.
0: Ooh, yeah.
1: That is T, bro. I I like that
0: that because you've always talked about how you playing drums has taught you rhythm. I was taught dancing, singing, and also just music theory in general when I was growing up as well. And that's also taught me how to edit as well. I think learning an instrument teaches you rhythm. Learning an instrument teaches you tone and feeling and I think an emotion and part of that because music is one of the biggest emo- natural emotional reactions we can get out of media.
1: What would you do to restart editing in 2024? Master pacing music and sound design first.
0: I agree. We have talked about it a lot. I think a lot of editors start thinking they can become great editors by uh, starting with After Effects first. But you can make something look beautiful. But if you don't make it work in the context of the story or with pacing or, in if, or with character, it's not a good motion graphic. And so you have to learn those other fundamentals first to then give you permission to become a better motion graphic designer.
1: I agree. I think that, Experiencing filmmaking is about seventy percent sound. A lot of the story is carried in dialogue. Yeah. Um, a lot of the emotion is carried in the music. And if you, you got to get that pacing right, so if you just really hone in on sound and music pacing, like you're going to be leagues ahead of most editors. I think yeah. it's gonna it's gonna help you a lot.
0: Don't work too quickly, or you'll get sucked into low skill, high time consumption work. I mean, we've talked about that today. Yeah, it is. Don't work too quickly or be slow <laughs> and, or, and don't overwork yourself. Don't commit to too many things. Download Premiere, find content you enjoy
1: and replicate it as best you can.
0: Interesting. Well, what it is, is that if you want to be a good editor, you have to get good footage. But if you don't know how to get good footage, then you can't be a good editor. And so you, it's smart to find good footage, download it and then try to make and then try to find out how you can make that. Even better. So I agree. I think you do learn a lot from
1: trying to copy things. Yep. Don't do it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Don't copy things and then put it out as your own work. Yes. But yeah, you can definitely learn how to do certain things. You see, you see somebody did this cool effect or they did this certain sound transition. You're like, okay, how did that happen? You reverse engineer it, try to make it yourself. And then you have that in your tool belt as you move forward to do your own original stuff.
0: This one's a really, really deep one. You ready? Okay. Subscribe to the editing podcast.